Jesus. I beg you to save my only daughter. Sir, have mercy. She's only 12 years old and, and dying. Please, please, come with me. If I can only touch his robe, I will be healed. Jairus, I'm sorry. Leave him alone, Jairus. Jesus! Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be well. Only believe and she will be well. touched me. Someone touched me, for I knew it when power went out of me. It was I who touched you. I have suffered for 12 years with bleeding. Uh, I spent all I had on doctors who could do nothing. But when my fingers touched your robe, uh, I was healed. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Thank you. called her daughter? Yes, someone who had been unclean for 12 years according to our laws. He saw her shame and restored her honour. I don't know which brings greater healing, Jesus' power or his compassion. What a wonderful worship time this morning. Thank you girls for that great way of just ushering us into the presence of the Lord and those songs just beautifully uh, communicate what the Lord had been laying on my heart for us today and um, one of those thoughts came from this movie which is a clip from the movie um, Magdalena or um, Through Her Eyes I think in the US but if you wanted to see the full movie and you haven't seen it it's a movie that portrays, it's based on the original Jesus film, but portrays how Jesus values women and how he lifts our shame and gives us honor. And the perfect line for me in this particular clip is that line when Mary Magdalene is actually the, the lady at the end that's talking to the girls, her discipleship group. And she says to her, to them, 
I don't know which brings greater healing. Jesus' power or his compassion. And that, uh, I watched this movie 15 years ago with Marf, my friend that was working with the Jesus film on the movie, getting out to women around the world. And uh, when I watched that movie, that phrase stuck in my heart for years. And this year, I was, uh, had a, went through a season of just not being well. and started out the year sick, and, um, which God used for, for good because it was when he started downloading into my spirit the word for let's get real for this event. And uh, what kept coming back was that question, which is greater, God's power or compassion? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, uh, I, you've got a booklet on your table, just so that I refer to that. A workbook. If you're watching online, we welcome you from wherever you are. We have women, as Kathy said, from all around the world. I don't know if we were switched on when she welcomed them, so I just welcome you again um, from different countries, and some of them part of our ministry, some not. So we're welcome to everyone. But online, if you don't have the booklet in your hand to print, you can go online to our to the link. There should be a link to the the booklet for today that we're going to use. And so just, you can be taking notes there, scribbling in the margins. Um, I will, I may follow along with it. I may not, we'll dip in and out, but <laughs> we'll try. Those of you who have come to Let's Get Real before know that this is something you can take away in case we miss something or you miss something. You can go back and study the scriptures and the notes and make it a daily devotion perhaps. But um, to, to come back to the, the subject of our, our morning session, the uh, which brings greater healing? God's power or his compassion. When we call on God, if we call on God, do we know his name as the God of power and authority and a God of compassion and comfort? How well do we know him in that capacity? I asked the table leaders this question when we were meeting last week and somebody had said, she said, you know, when I was growing up, I think I knew about his power but I really never grew up to know about his compassion. And I wonder if that's the experience of many of us, that we really didn't understand the compassion of God's heart. He was just a big God, creator God, or maybe an angry God, um, a, a religious God, a God who demands performance, who, who's there to judge us for not being good enough. Um, I, other things that I think about when I think about power uh, in this world, and that was another reason that I started to think about this subject, is that we, have, we are watching played out the evidence of power without compassion. And uh, if we look at power and authority without compassion, it's an evil thing, isn't it? It's a disastrous thing because compassion is something that is given towards living beings, not objects. And when you take compassion away from power, then you're just looking at things that are created in God's image and even animals and nature as just things to be used. We don't see the spirit of the living God in those people. And so we can treat them any way we want because we're abusing our power and our authority. And some of us have an understanding of God in that way. And I hope today that we're going to leave here, even if we, we know God, there is always so much more that we can know. I, I told the girls this morning, I think I've spent the last month crying. Because every time I open the word and, and 
God gives me this revelation. It's not in scriptures that I haven't read before, but he's just been opening my eyes, and my, the eyes of my heart more to know him in his glory, in his power, but oh, in his great compassion. And I, I long for that for us today. The Bible says, and you all know this verse, I'm sure you've heard it, be still and know that I am God. And so I, today, my heart for us is that we will be still and we will know that he's God. Many of us are struggling. The world is struggling. The world is all over the place. We've just come out of, we're still coming out of a pandemic which has shaken people up. Um, we need to know a God who doesn't shake, who is unshakable and who cares about the suffering that this world is going through. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He said it, the path to eternal life is to know God, to know the true God, and we know him through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said, this is from the NIV, he said, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads to repentance? Can I tell you that in recent months, it's been the goodness of God that has caused me to fall on my knees, not his conviction of sin, not his beating me up or showing me things I'm doing right. It's when his overwhelming mercy and goodness to me when I don't deserve it. So many times he's come in and he's shown me love when I deserved a good beating. Really, I needed a beating and he didn't give me that. He didn't give me what I, gave, I deserved. He gave me grace and compassion and love. And that's the God that brings you to repentance. That's what we want to look at this morning. Am I overwhelmed with the greatness and the goodness and the love of God? Does it bring me to my knees saying, Jesus, thank you, thank you for accepting me a sinner and making me a new creation? There's a commentary, uh, rather, the, uh, in Peter, 2 Peter, the AMP Bible. It says, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. His divine power, we're going to talk about his power this morning, his divine power has given me everything that I need to know him personally, to know the God who created the universe in an intimate way. There is no secret, says the Amplified Commentary. There's no secret knowledge or a better way or an alternative belief system which God has revealed to some unique group or teacher. The truth is available to everyone. Hallelujah. The truth is available to everyone. There isn't a secret plan. There's not a secret club. There's not one specific denomination that has got a handle on God's truth. Some may have some different revelation, but all of us, every single one of us, have access to know God in his power, in his compassion, in his glory. All of us, there is not one person in this room that gets to know God more than any other except those who don't want to. Because God will reveal himself to those who seek him. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to come to know God. I, in our ministry, I, I often say to the girls, our journey, our Christian journey, and the journey that we go through 
in our discipleship journey is to know God. Uh, Chris Gross is here, and she, she did a lovely plaque when she finished her, her, course, her discipleship courses with us, and she brought it one day to a Christmas party, and she said, I love this, and, and she'd done a great job of just, and so it stands in my mind when I see it, is to know God is to love him, because here's the thing, if you really pursue knowing God, you will suddenly be overwhelmed with his love, because he is love. You tell me that God is, is uh, judging and he doesn't care about people and he's just an Old Testament God who, who's just killing people. Who, where's the God of mercy? I'm going to show you this morning where the God of mercy is in the Old Testament because he hasn't changed from day one. His love never changed. He doesn't suddenly get a loving heart in the New Testament. He was always a loving God. From the beginning right through to the end, there is God's love written in scripture, written in nature, written in human beings. God's love is with us. And the more I get to know him, the more I get to know his love. And the more that I understand he loves me, the more I love him. And guess what happens? The more I love him, the more I'm going to trust him. And we need to trust him. You know, my heart today, if you ask me, and I think again I shared it with the leaders this week, my heart is we need our faith built up in this generation. We need our faith built up in this day. You've heard some of these scriptures before. I don't care. They lifted my faith up. I want to lift your faith up so we can be strong because we know our God and we know that he's on the throne and we know that he cares. And when I can trust him, I'm free from everything that's happening in the world, from all of my circumstances. They might not change, but I change. Why? Because I take it higher. We got to take it higher, girls. We've got to stop looking around at what's going on in the world and worrying and fretting and being hurt and wounded. And we've got to say, there is a God who is on the throne and he cares about us. He sees us and he has a wonderful plan for us. And it may not feel like it, but he's in the midst of it. And this is not the end. What we're going through right now is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. I cannot love and serve others unless I know the love of God and I'm walking in his freedom. Because if I don't know God in this way, I'm so consumed with myself, I don't know what freedom is. And I need to get free so that I can bring his love and compassion to others. There's a a Christian counseling, healing uh, lady that I love to listen to. Her name is Diane Landberg. And she made this statement about six years ago in a message she shared. She said, trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century. Trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century. I agree. I think you would too. With the pandemic alone, we've had a huge increase in suicides, uh, depressions, isolation, sickness, ongoing sickness, deaths, trauma, pain, and sorrow. Now we have a war going on that is traumatizing most of Eastern Europe. Terrible atrocities that are being committed. And it's not that wars haven't gone on before. There are terrible things happening in every country. If we watch the news, it will make us traumatized. We will be traumatized. But here's what something that one of our precious sisters on the team of, um, she's with Crew and part of our Love Unveiled uh, ministry, one of our leaders there, Uh, We had a meeting with them, a Zoom call, with the Moldovan team about three or four weeks ago, and they were sharing why they're ministering to refugees uh, from Ukraine, because uh, Moldova is in a very precarious place right on the border of Ukraine there. 
And so they're having hundreds of refugees come through. And it was a very moving meeting. But I'll tell you what I came away with. I came away with the touch of the love of God. I came away with hope. It wasn't depressing. It was God's people in action in the midst of suffering. It was a compassionate God overriding the power and the hatred of the world and ministering to the brokenhearted. And this is what one of the team members said. It's the love and compassion of the church which is opening the doors for the gospel. It's the love and compassion of the church that is opening the doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Eastern Europe today. Is the love and compassion of the church in our community opening the doors for the gospel around us? Would it take a war before we show our neighbors love and compassion where we can listen to them and weep with them, take them by the hand and encourage them? Do we know a God that we can bring absolutely believing in who he is and that he has power to act? on our behalf and on their behalf. Do we know that God? Because that's the only way that we can go and bring love and compassion to others is when we know him and we believe in him. And we've experienced him for ourselves. When I experience the touch of God in my life, it changes things. On page three in your notebook, I had put, do I know God in his power and compassion? How well do you know God in his power? And have you experienced his compassion? Here's some descriptions of power, authority, and compassion from the dictionary. Power, the ability to act or have influence over others. Authority, the power or right to give orders, to make decisions and enforce obedience. Compassion, being sensitive to the emotional suffering of others. Motivated, motivating people to go out of their way to relieve physical, mental, and emotional pain of others and themselves. Now, if you take away compassion from power and authority, it's ugly, isn't it? It looks ugly. Having authority, the power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience without compassion, you don't want to be under that regime. You don't want to go to the hospital where they don't have compassion. You don't want to be under a government that has no compassion. But I only know one person really, truly, that exemplifies power and compassion in equal measures. And that's the one that we want to look at today. I'm going to read some scripture. Just, you know, the power of God. I think about Hebrews and it says that the word of God is powerful and living. Dividing even to the spirit and soul. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So I was saying to Angie, oh my gosh, there's so much scripture here. I got, I just, it was pouring out of my heart. It's like, because I want us to get this an overview of who God is. There's so much in the word. And I was, we did, I did take some out. Angie and I sat yesterday, let's take this out. Let's take out. Actually this morning I started putting some back in, but that's okay. <laughs> but I can't help it. it. It's not my words. It's the word of God that's going to change our lives. And so I ask that he will bring his two-edged sword today and divide us, take away the lies, take away the bondages, take away wrong thinking about who God is and show us through his spirit who he is and how he wants to touch you today. 
how he wants to touch each one of us. Here's the first one. Let's look at his glory. Psalm 96, verse 4 to 6. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Not unto us, Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentile nations say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols, their silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Both these verses, and there are hundreds. That's why I got like, wow. Angie's like, we can't give them all. (laughs) There's so many that refer to who God is and who the idols are. Now, he's talking about false idols that they were making. If you've traveled internationally, you will see some of these idols. Actually, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I say, all you need to do is walk around your neighborhood. You're going to see those idols that, that have been made of stone or wood and sitting in gardens or in windows. One of them in our neighborhood, I've been praying against it for several years, and it still suddenly disappeared. And uh, it just one day, somebody's talked about it the other day. She said, have you seen, I'm not going to say what it was, but she, she said, you, have you seen that? I said, no, it's gone. We prayed six years, maybe it's gone. And there's one, another one next to it. We're still praying for that one. But, but the point is there's stone images. A storm could have come and cut it in two and it would have been boom, it would have been gone. You know, it, but, but seriously, I want you to think about this as we go through these scriptures. What idols are we making? God is reminding us, I'm in the heavens. Why are you down here groveling, worshiping your things and your stuff and people? What about me? I'm the one to take your eyes to. I'm the one that has the power to do something, the power to act. Isaiah 51, 12 to 16. I, even I am he who what? comforts you. That great God that's in the heavens, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. You feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exiles hasten that he may be loose, that they should, he should not die in a pit that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth. And I've covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Hallelujah. In that verse, he says, I am he who comforts you. I am the Lord your God. You are my people. If you just took that one verse away today and meditated on that, do you believe that he's your comforter? Do you believe he's the Lord your God, that you are his people? And if you're not his people, do you want to be his people? Because I'm telling you these days, I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be under any other person's covering. He says, I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. I'm up for that, Lord. I want your covering. Because right now, to come out from that covering, whoa, it's dangerous out there. We want the covering of the Lord. You know, it mentions here 
the sea, the God who divided the sea. Back in Exodus, we've heard this story, even if you really are not familiar with church, I think in Sunday school or at school even, you may have heard the stories of the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites being delivered from Egypt and they experienced 10 plagues, massive plagues, and God delivered them from every single one in a mighty way in a mighty way. And then he did this incredible miracle when he parted the sea, they get up to the Red Sea, God parts the sea. I was lying in bed last night thinking, even to go down to the lake in Avalon or a lake near where you live, think about it, or a sea where you live. If you were just sitting there having coffee and suddenly the sea parted in front of you, would that not astound you? Would you not go like, wow, something crazy is going on? I mean, I think I'd be scared to death terrifying to think about the power of God who can just separate water. Well, with that background, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses, who led the children of Israel through that background, now they've come through the the Red Sea and they're now waiting to go to the promised land. Moses has been up the mountain several times to meet with God. He has seen God in glory, flashing lights, thunder, all of that. And, And he has this conversation with God. He says, I want to know you and I want you to show me your glory. Now, when I read that, I'm going, show you his glory? Has he not shown you his glory? Because in my, my mind, my, I'm thinking glory is those things we talked about in the heavens, the power, those amazing miracles that he did, the signs and the wonders. Has he not seen his glory? Has he not got to know God? Yeah, he's seen God's power. But look what God says. You can read that whole chapter. I've put the reference there, Exodus 33, 12 to 23. But I'm just going to take a couple of verses here. Exodus 33, verse 19. The Lord said, this is in answer to the question, I want to know you. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That doesn't describe signs and wonders and power. It, deci- it describes the character of God, his goodness, the power of his name, how highly he thinks of his name, his mercy and his compassion. And then in Exodus 34, there's another conversation that carries on. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children's children for the sin of the parents in the third and fourth generation. You put all that together and God is describing who he is. Goodness, his name, Lord, mercy, compassionate, gracious, patient, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and just to those who deserve justice. Do you know God? Do you know this God? Do you need to know him more? Because I do. I need to know more of this in God. I need to know more about him. Here's what Jeremiah wrote. Let not the wisdom, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, 
that they have the understanding to know me. And how does he want to be known? That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. The most important thing I believe that we can pursue is knowing God. Do I know God? Jesus said it's eternal life. Do I know God when people are telling me, well, that you're God, you know, he, look at what he did in the Old Testament, all the people he killed. Do you know God? Do you know him? Not to preach him a scripture. Do you know him? Are you the word made flesh? Have you experienced the word of God in your life in a way that nobody can change your mind? Because you've experienced his touch, his goodness, his love, and his mercy. Here's what God says about his compassion in these scriptures. For 2 Chronicles 36. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, because this was a disobedient people, rising up early and sending them. Why? Why did he send prophets? Because he had compassion on his people, not to destroy them. He was forever reaching out his hand of compassion to his people. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. If you read the whole of Psalm 103, you'll see God's goodness and forgiveness to us. But he says, particularly in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Psalm 145, verse 8 to 9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. One of the, the most wonderful books in the Bible, I think, I, I, just because I've been reading this recently, is the book of Isaiah. It portrays in amazing language. He's so eloquent in the way that he portrays God's power and compassion in the same sentences. It's amazing. And when you read it over and over and over, that's why I started weeping. I, I, I mean, I cannot claim to identify with Isaiah's experience when when he, as he was writing this, uh, he was about three, six chapters in, he falls on his knees as an unpure man. And he just says like, who am I in your presence, God? I've been experiencing that as I re read through Isaiah. I, I just can't stop weeping. I'm like, what is going on with me? But it, I think I'm tasting some of what Isaiah was experiencing. When you see the glory of the Lord, when you he see him in his word revealing himself, what can we say? There are no words. I, I said to Andrew, I don't have words. Knowing more and more who God is, how can I try and communicate to you who God is in his power and compassion? It's an impossible task, but yet God calls us to do it. And how do we know it? <laughs> do it through his word. So today, I don't want to try and convince you, or I don't even want to try and convict you with my words. I want the word of God to convict you and to open your eyes and reveal who he is, that you will experience that glory, that compassion. In chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah, God is portrayed as sovereign, powerful God sitting on the throne. He communicates his law, his burden for the people, and also the judgment. But when we get into chapters 40 through to 66, Isaiah st starts by communicating God, the Lord as Savior. He communicates the powerful love of God, the blessing and the joy of the Lord. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today, this morning, is Isaiah uh, chapter 40 particularly. Here's how he starts in chapter 40. Mind you, this is coming after all the judgments and the burdens and all the the bad stuff because they've been so wicked and disobedient. But this is what God says. He starts, he says, comfort. Yes, comfort my people. He didn't say slam them. He says, I'm here to comfort you. Speak comfort. Literally, he says, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. What does that mean? Her sin debt is paid. He's going to be talking about the suffering servant, the one who is going to come and deliver them. It's done. Your sin is going to be forgiven. The comfort of the Lord is for all of us. And so he says in verse 9, Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. Oh, Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. I, I love that statement. Behold your God. He says, say it to the cities of who? Judah, God's people. This morning, I told the worship team before we started, and I think maybe the table leaders when we were praying, this day is about saying, behold your God. We want to show God off. We want to present our God to you. We want to get up on that mountain and say, hey girls, this is our God. Let's rejoice. Let's sing. Let's be glad in our hearts. Why are we so miserable? I'm reading a book by a lady, uh, Hannah Willard-Smith, and and she said her experience was an atheist years ago was saying to me, says, I I don't know what it is with Christians. If your God is so good, why are you all so miserable? (laughs) Right? Well, the only way you're going to get the misery off your face is start to know who God is and read and accept and believe and say, wow, if this is who you are, Lord, I should be praising you. I should be telling others about you. Release my mouth. We've got the good news. If you haven't received that good news today already, then I hope by the end of this day, you will. (laughs) That you will know this God. But our message today is, through the worship, (coughs) excuse me, through the table discussions, that we can say, behold our God. (coughs) He goes on to describe... In verse 10 and 11, this combination of God's power and his compassion. Verse 10, behold, the Lord shall come in strength. That means in power, with a strong hand, and his hand shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense work before him. So there's his strength coming to us. But he then goes on and he says, suddenly he switches the, the picture and he says he will feed his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young what an amazing picture God suddenly switches the picture from creator of the heavens to the God who carries us who holds us close to his heart who lets us lean on his heart he portrays himself as a shepherd 
It goes on in verse 12. He says, Who has measured the waters of the sea in the hollow of his hand and measured heaven and with a span of his hands with, uh, sorry, with the span, which is a hands with, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? I, I put a note here. Reflect. God is showing us both his powerful, creative ability and his gentle shepherd heart. Here's some statistics that I read about the powerful creator. He just said in that verse that we just read, in verse 10, he talks about this strong hand. And in verse 12, he talks about, he's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and with a span, he picks up the dust and he calculates it. Well, here's some interesting facts, perhaps for some of us. It says, Three quarters of the world is water. And if all the water was flattened, the entire earth would be under one and a half miles of water. The entire earth would be covered with one and a half miles of water. Yet the Lord measures it with his hand. I can't get my mind around that. How big God is that he can measure the the water with his hand. It says he holds the heavens with his hands. It would take millions of light years to cross our galaxy alone, just our galaxy. So God's hand is so big, it holds all of that, all those galaxies in his hand. I think that's more than big enough to hold our problems, right? You think God can handle us? I think so. 30,000 cubic tons of cosmic dust fall on our planet each year, and the Lord measures it all. He picks it up, 30,000 cubic tons. He picks it up and he measures it and he just lets it run through his hands. That's the God we're talking about. That's the power. And yet, those same hands, he says, pick up the flock and carries them tenderly. You would think the size of those hands, they would break you. He could crush us with one tiny fingernail. He could crush us. We're going on to read about that. The breath of his mouth could blow us out. Do we understand that? One breath and we're gone. That breath that gave us life can take it away in a second. But that same power under control is sheathed, is covered in the garments of a shepherd. A gentle shepherd who loves us and carries us. In uh, In going on in Isaiah 40, verses 18 to 26, here's just some thoughts to show God's power. God declares his power this way. He asks a lot of questions in this chapter. And I think he's asking those questions to us. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Who do you compare God to? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it. With gold and the silversmith cast silver chains. Whoever's too poor for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved idol that will not totter. So rich people may make their own idols out of whatever gold they've got. But, but whether we're rich or poor, we as poor can also be making idols. Things that we've made of our hands, we create them and we worship them. And he's saying, who are you comparing God to? 
Have you not known, verse 21, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the very beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Verse 23, he reduces princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Verse 25, so to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom will I be equal? It's like, who are you comparing me to? Other people? You think they can help you? There's nobody flawless. Not a judge, not a leader, neither political, neither in schools. Nowhere. Everybody has flaws. We're all human. Don't compare them to God. To whom will you liken me? Verse 25 says the Lord. Lift up your eyes on high. See, he's saying, get your eyes off people. Get your eyes off things. Get your eyes off idols. Put them on the Lord. Lift up your eyes on high, verse 26, and see who created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and the power of his strength, not one is missing. The stars in the sky, when you go out at night and you look up at the sky, I want you to think about this. He holds them all and he named them all. And they're there by his power. They're held up by his power. If God removes his power, those things come crashing down on us. We'll be smithereens in seconds. Here's what, this verse is not in your notes, but Isaiah 42, 8. This is a a word to us. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols, because I am the Lord. Are you giving your praise to idols? Do you speak more about other people and what they've done or things that you've done or the things that we're trusting in? Our homes, our children, our cars, our, our stuff, our junk. Do we talk more about that than we talk about the power of God? Do we talk more about how the doctors helped us than we talk about how God helped us? What am I trusting in? God says, I won't give my glory to another. Am I taking God's glory? Am I making it more about me to say, look how well I've done? Look, what a great day. You know, we've got 120 women. It's like being in the upper room here, actually. I'm expecting God to do something miraculous. Have an upper room experience today as the Holy Spirit falls on the church. (laughs) You know? But it won't be because of Liz, because God forbid that I take his glory. This is about giving the glory to him. Lord, it's all yours. I've got nothing without him. You've got nothing without him. None of us are here for our glory. Lord, hear it. We pray. Yours is the glory. Yours is the honor. Who are you comparing God to? Who or what do you put higher in place than God? And who is your trust in today? That's a good question to ask yourself. You might say, I trust the Lord in all this area of my life, but there's an area I'm not trusting in. Okay, so have you dethroned God? Suddenly something else is on the throne? Self or a person or a problem or a trial or a hurt or a wound and you think about that more than you think about God, like God's not got enough power or healing or compassion to deal with it. What is replacing God? He says, who will you compare with me with? God doesn't want us to be putting hope in human leaders and judges as much as in him. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 31, now he declares his compassion. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Why do we say, Lord, you don't see me, you don't see the trial I'm going through? He says, have you not heard those questions again? Have you not heard? 
Have you not known the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no strength, he increases strength. One of our uh, girls this morning, we were praying and she said, Lord, I'm so tired. I'm, I'm destitute and I need you. I need your strength. That's a great time for the Lord to come in because he says he gives power to his people. He is our strength. Even young people get faint and weary and men will fall, young men will fall. But those who wait on the Lord, which means wait upon the Lord, trusting in him, hoping in him, will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a question here. You can be discussing this on your tables in a few minutes, but the Israelites of this day didn't dispute God's greatness as much as they questioned his care. They had seen his greatness, but when they got into the wilderness, it was always like, he didn't give us water. We don't have any meat. We don't care about us. I mean, it was like they... They were just complaining, complaining. They had seen God's greatness, but they did not believe or trust in his care for them. Do I believe in his care when things go wrong? When suddenly storms come out of nowhere, do I start like, oh, where's God now? You know, one minute I can be praising him and thanking him for his goodness and his love to me. And the next minute I feel like he's walked out the door and left me and another problem's come up. How quickly do I remember God cares for me? in the midst of this problem. He's never left me. Do you believe God cares about you and cares about your needs with his compassion? Or do you question his care for you? And if you do, maybe that's a time to ask why. Why do I question his care for me? Let's go on to page eight. If you turn over, here's a bunch of scriptures. I'm just gonna read through these. Um, to give us the picture. You know, many of these scriptures you know, as I said, I pulled out a bunch of scripture. If you want to go through Isaiah and underline everything you read about God's power and compassion, <laughs> you will be blown away with the character of God. But here's just a few to whet our appetite, to give us a taste of who God is. Isaiah 41, you Israel are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you away. Fear not for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the same hand, by the way, that is holding the universe, that's holding the stars in place. Think about that. The God of power is saying to you, I will help you. I will hold you by your right hand. And that means he's using his left hand. And if he's a right-handed writer, then he's using even just his weakest hand holds up our, our weakness and our strength gives us strength. Isaiah 43, now thus says the Lord who created you, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I've called you by your name. Hey daughter, you are mine, you are mine. I called you, I've redeemed you. He goes on in that passage to say, and if you go through the fire, you won't burn, and through the waters, you won't drown, because he cares for us. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, my servant whom I've chosen. What to do? That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I am even the Lord. Beside me there's no other savior. Are you trusting in someone other than God? Because if you are, I'm just here to tell you, there's no way out. 
there's no hope. God alone is the savior. He's the one that created us. He has the answers. He has the power. He has the love that we need. There's no other God that has been formed that can help. Isaiah 46, this is a great promise for young and old alike. You who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, even to your gray hairs I will carry you. That's a good word for some of us in the room. <laughs> even to your old age I am he, and even to your gray hairs I will carry you. There's that arms, he's carrying us like a shepherd. If he carried you, if you've experienced God through your life till now, the promise to you today is he's not going to stop. He will carry you to the very end of your life on this earth. He will not stop carrying you. Thank you, Lord. He says, I've made you, I will bear you, even I will carry and I will deliver you. Isaiah 49, verses 13 to 16, shout for joy, you heavens, you earth. Rejoice, you earth, rather. Burst into song, you mountains. See, this is what I was saying. You can't help it if you read this and believe this. And there's so many more verses that will challenge your heart. You can't stop to say, shout for joy, heavens. Rejoice, all you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. Why? For the Lord comforts his people. Not so much because of the great powers that we've seen in nature, which also is a way to declare God's glory and shout for joy. But here he's saying, why? Because of the compassion of God. Because we have a God with compassion. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on who? His afflicted ones. But look at this. Zion, his people said, the Lord's forsaken me, the Lord's forgotten me. Like E on the donkey, woe is me. And God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Sadly, the answer to that question is yes. We know that's happened. Some of you have experienced that. Mothers that have forsaken you as children or grandmothers that are taking care of grandchildren because the mother's absent. There is so much brokenness uh, in the world that sadly, yes, you would think it's never possible if you're a mother who cares for your child, but there are women who different circumstances cause them to not have compassion on the child. But this is what God says. She may forget, but I will never forget you. I won't forget you. Why? I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. He's not just written your name on his hand. You, his huge hand, his huge beyond universal hand, you're engraved into it. It's there. Nobody can snatch you out of his hand. And in verse 50, Isaiah 50, verse 2 rather, he says, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Is it too short to reach out to you? God's almighty huge hand, is it too short? Or do I not have power to deliver you from your problems and your pain and your trials? Is God too small? No. And he switches again to this compassion. There's the power now, compassion, verse four. The Lord has given me, and he's talking about the servant Jesus. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He sends Jesus. When you need a word for the weary, when you're weary, he sends you a word. He says he awakens me each morning to hear as the learned. You know, it's a great thing to waken up in the morning and say, Lord, 
I need to hear from you. I need a word. Because you never know when you're going to be the word to the weary. If you haven't been in the word, how do you know what word to give them? Have you ever been caught short with somebody who's hurting, somebody who's in trouble, and you don't have anything, you're just blank? Well, I would suggest set up in the morning. This is not a religious you got, but you get with the Lord in the morning before him and get into his word or hear what he's got for you and you're comforted by him and suddenly he puts somebody in front of you who needs the same verse or who needs the same touch that you received. Isaiah 51.3 For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort, that means have compassion on all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hallelujah. Those areas of our life which have just become wasted. You think they're dead. What a waste. The years I've wasted. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. No. God says, no, I'll redeem it. I will bring flowers. I'll bring joy. I will bring living water. I will make that desert into a glorious garden. What Satan intended to do to destroy you, he will bring it alive. Now, it may not be in the way you think. I'm talking about in the garden of our hearts. We immediately want all our circumstances to change, and they may not. But he says the work that's been wrought by Satan to discourage and to to tear out joy from your heart, to take away gladness and thanksgiving and, and abundant life, I am coming to restore that to you. I want to renew your spirit, to give you life again. And how is he going to do it? Here he says, Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 7. He's going to do it himself. That great almighty God. Here's what Isaiah says. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid all that iniquity on him. All of our iniquity he's going to put on the shepherd. In fact, he turns the analogy, he says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. The shepherd becomes the lamb. He becomes the sacrifice. The one that carried the sheep now becomes a sheep and lays his life down for the sheep. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain about it. He allowed himself to die so that you and I could have the desert of our hearts restored to new life. That you and I could become a new creation. God did not divorce or give up on his people. Some of you have gone through divorce. I want to tell you God isn't here to divorce you. He will never leave you. It, was, it wasn't God that put them into captivity. It's not God that takes us into captivity. It's our following other gods that takes us into captivity. It's our sin that takes us into captivity. But in his compassion, God continues to reach out with the promise of his suffering servant. God's heart, the lamb, will be the sacrifice. In Isaiah 54, he says, the Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says the Lord. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 54, verse 10, sorry, chapter 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. 
the Lord has compassion on you. As we review and just come to the end of this session, if you turn over to page 10, the greatest act of God's compassion is seen through Jesus. And it's prophesied also in Isaiah 61. And if you've been involved in any of these uh, events before uh, in Lovenville groups, you'll, you'll know we, this is the foundation of our ministry, Isaiah 61, 1 to 4, because this is the gospel. And I wonder as we go through this, what do you need this morning? Because the way we call this, it's the divine exchange. It's taking off our old, broken, deserted wilderness, and it's putting on the new life that God wants you to have. You know, some of us, you might have come out today for the first time to an event since the pandemic started. And I'm sure that you were a bit nervous coming into somewhere like this. But today, God wants you to take off that old and say, this is a new beginning. He wants to heal and restore and renew what was broken during the pandemic. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me but the Lord, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Hallelujah. This is the prophecy of what God is going to do for us. At this point, it was looking forward. We're going to look after our discussion at what we received through this suffering servant. But this divine exchange, what do you need to come to him today and ask to do in your life? Is it healing? Is it freedom? Is it joy for mourning? Is it comfort for mourning? Is it a life that's in ashes that you're praying he will make beautiful? Do you have a heavy spirit? You need to ask him for a garment of praise. <laughs> All changed lives reflect the power of God because only God has the power to change what's going on in our hearts. Only God can heal. Only God can set free. Only God can bring beauty out of a life that's been in ashes. Only God can break chains and open prison doors. Only God can restore shame or remove shame rather and give us honor. Only God. He has the power. He has the authority and he has the compassion to do it. Let me pray for us before you take a time. Lord, I thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who made the heavens, creator God. That you are the one that deserves the worship and the praise and the glory because you are worthy. We pray, Lord, that you would take this word and it would touch our hearts, each one of us, that we would experience you moving the stones away, Lord, lifting the blinds on our eyes to see you more clearly. Lord, I pray even in the disabled discussions that you will be moving and working. In Jesus' name, amen.